Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Derek. Hello. So, I like to start each episode by asking you guys what you've been listening to lately. Yeah, I've been listening to uh, the new Tim Hecker record that came out uh, mm-hmm. last week. A-, a no-yo, I think is how you say it. It's it's kind of like a companion to the one that came out last year, a uh, no-yo. And, uh, you know, man just can't make a bad record. <laughs> uh, I've just pretty much been focusing on the band we will be discussing today. Just, uh, you know, getting it all out so I can put it away for the next decade or so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> I've been pretty into, I'm not going to be able to pronounce any component of this, Alton Goon, I think uh, it's it's pronounced. It's like that U with the two dots over the top or whatever. Um, and the album is called Geishe, G-E-C-E, whatever, whatever the fuck. It's uh, basically Turkish psych rock, and it's just so, it's just so cool. It's like, if you kind of miss, like, older Tame Impala, um, or a lot of people are into, I haven't really listened that much, but that, like, King Gizzard and the lizard wizard something (laughs) band you know like this kind of like new psych rock vibe it's like it kind of makes you realize that it's a lot of it is descending from this kind of like funky psychedelia of like the 70s and 80s um this like turkish psych rock stuff and um yeah i mean it's just an absolute blast but let's go ahead and jump into the topic that you alluded to darren Uh, a few weeks ago tool announced that their first album in 12 years will be dropping on August 30th. And like a lot of people, the news got the three of us reminiscing and frankly joking about our shared teenage tool phases. Indeed, I don't think we're alone in having gone through a period of complete obsession with this band before suddenly deciding that literally nothing could be more lame. (laughs) So we decided to revisit Tool's discography with particular emphasis on what's generally considered their crowning achievement, 2001's Lateralis, in order to figure out why the band inspires such polarizing reactions and if either of these assessments is fair. Let's start by describing our Tool fandom. When did you get into Tool and how big of a fan were you? Yeah, I was like a huge fan. I think it was like, <laughs> it was probably like ninth grade, I guess, maybe eighth eighth or ninth grade. My cousin was like into him and, uh, you know, he got me into him and just, I was just absolutely like obsessed uh, with, with that. But, you know, I had a tool backpack at school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, po- posters at home, uh, everything. I, I mean, I actually met Darren like because of Tool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost like identical for me. Like uh, it was the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I believe. And my cousin, who was like a year older, had really been into Tool or whatever. And um, that's how I kind of found my way into it. And, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Dan and I, this is going to be super cringy, but um yeah our friendship started with us sort of just quoting tool yeah instant messenger yeah (laughs) i mean i just i think that this whole episode is going to be full of cringy uh memories so so. (laughs) that's actually amazing it's amazing because it's like when i think of tool i think of you know like somebody's stoner older brother has to tell them about it or something and it's great that you both uh basically discovered tool in that exact way yeah um, we don't have older brothers so yeah it's because right. yeah. my cousin's yep. a, a year older than me too it's basically the same thing yeah wow. cousin has to do um 
Yeah, I think I, um, I think, you know, right around high school, ninth grade or something like that was, um, I probably learned about them through Darren. Um, so vicariously, but I'm through, uh, <laughs> very nice. Darren's cousin. Um, and yeah, I became utterly obsessed for a time. Um, you know, this was back when you had to pick one CD and, uh, put it in your, uh, CD player and take it to school. And I mean, just months and months where, like basically all I needed was Anima and then again months and months where all I needed was Lateralis um certainly branched out from there but you know I, there was just this period where <clears throat> god I was I was almost more obsessed than <laughs> than maybe anything else um I thought a lot about this and I wonder if you guys did too what was so appealing about them at that time yeah I thought a lot about that too and I think it's just like you know it was the first band that I like knew about that had like a bit of like mystery about yeah, them, you know. Lore. Yeah, there's like this lore, you know, early internet stuff. It was like one of the first fan sites I would go on was uh, like this big tool uh-huh. forum, and yeah, you know, people were always trying to figure out, you know, like what do these music videos mean? You know, what is this mm-hmm. the art, the weird artwork? And then you know, all this like Fibonacci, you know, all that crap. Right, right. You know, I read like fucking Crowley books and you know <laughs> dumb shit like that. Uh, and you know, it was just like the first band I knew of. That that like had something like that and you know this like sort of darkness about them and uh you know it just i i I feel like it was right for ninth grade you know me to like you know want something you know it was like a little subversive or something you know at at the time i I felt like yeah yeah it was i mean all of that i totally agree with and the, the music videos i think especially because when you watch them or when i was watching them in like ninth grade i had never seen anything like yeah, it same. you know what i mean so I, and i think the music was sort of you know accessible to me I, I maybe not to everyone but it just was kind of right there at the right moment you know i had just been going through like a nirvana phase i think and this uh-huh. sort of took things to a bit of a deeper level you know and then you know as you're sort of getting into high school and sort of like trying to i don't know understand yourself in some ways like it was nice to lean into something that just made you feel like yeah this is like deep you know this is intelligent stuff that like you know the average punk at school (laughs) yeah is not gonna understand you know what i mean exactly Yeah, there's something something about that that you know i I think is actually so fascinating because it's uh, you know i'm thinking about like their aesthetic you know their aesthetic is this kind of what people might call pretentious but this kind of like you know deep like thinker philosophical kind of Mm -hmm. thing and it also there's a certain like a weird animosity between tool and their fans, you know, quite frankly, where it's like they, you know, sell, um, they sell t-shirts where you're basically like labeling yourself as a tool, you know? Um, and a certain, like a certain thing where it it makes you feel like, Oh, you know, I, I get it. I'm in on it. Everybody else is stupid, you know, except Mm -hmm, for me. Um, there's something about that and there's something just really there it was so appealing to me at the time because I was really incredibly angsty in high school um just angry for no reason or maybe there was a reason you know I was becoming like sort of politically conscious at that time you know you know we grew up in like sort of the the south basically so I'm like becoming furious about rednecks and like you know <laughs> learning about the whatever the Iraq war and Bush and you know like all this stuff and I'm like so angry you know and here's this like group that's just really um you know really helping me channel that and feel like justified in my anger you guys kind of relate to that 
<laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, this was like a band, I, the Darren said that like, you know, they were, you know, quote unquote smart. It, it was like, you know, now I realize like this album, like Lateralis went platinum and, you know, I, uh-huh, it wasn't yeah. this like small uh, group, <laughs> right. you know, uh, or anything. But like, you know, you, 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 you might hear schism on the radio here and there, but like you... They seemed like, you know, sort of underground, even though, you know, they really, in reality, weren't. And it it was like this, you know, almost like a cool little club you could join. And then, you know, the more you, like, knew about the band, you know, deeper into the club you were. Um, And it was just, yeah, it was like, it was like kind of the perfect age when you're, like, searching for that, uh, you know, like, sense of, of belonging and everything. And yeah, and like you said, Gabe, like you know you're coming into the political consciousness and everything and like the you know the, while the band doesn't sing about politics necessarily you know, there's an anger in it uh especially you know like undertow and in anima and stuff and uh opiate yeah. you know there's like Bill a, hicks and all that stuff you know was really speaking to me because i learned about him through tool you know and he's quite political obviously. yeah ex- yeah exactly yeah i got into bill hicks uh because of uh third eye um yeah so i think you know it, it was just like it's like the perfect thing for the way we were in ninth, 10th grade. Yeah. I mean, exactly that. Like it, it really, for me personally, you know, at that time you were really kind of starting to take a deeper look at like the people around you and like what they were really into, you know, you start to develop like your first like bits of philosophy and thoughts on like, Mm -hmm the bigger Uh, questions and like tool was just so perfect to kind of channel that you know like songs like you know third eye and like uh you know just these seemingly deeper messages that go be below the surface level you know so it was like really easy to look at other people and be like oh yeah they're just you know they're surface level uh people you know they like they just can't they don't go deeper or deep enough you know there's so much more to it blah 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 and it was it's so it's so odd because i guess it's just like just the perfect time in your life to kind of experience that yet we're listening to an album that was both of these albums were you know like anima for instance is like what 96 i mean it was like yeah old by by the time even we mm-hmm. were listening to it you know what i mean but it, it felt so appropriate for the time yeah it really 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 did and then you know beyond the aesthetic there was obviously something musical that was very appealing but it's weird because, you know, it's obviously what you would describe as something like alternative metal or like prog metal or something. And, you know, that all sounds really horrible to me right now. But <laughs> I was trying to think about this. Like, is there anything, Dan, like in your current tastes that you can somehow trace back to Tool and be like, oh, that those were like the parts that I must have been gravitating toward? Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot uh, listening, especially to Lateralis. And like, yeah, definitely. I mean, Lateralis and Anima were like the first things that I listened to that had 13 minute long songs and stuff. Whereas now, I mean, probably a vast majority of the stuff I listen to is like very long and everything. So I I do like credit as giving me like a uh, a tolerance for lengthy pieces and everything. And, uh, you know, just, just sort of like like the overall like atmosphere you know lateralis has like all those little um uh like sort of uh segue type tracks you know that are i we'll get into it more you know but it you know it sort of like builds an atmosphere it's like builds an an album that's like a piece of work anima was the same way right right you know and like i talk about it all the time on this podcast i like love when a record is like a piece of you know art you know it's 
from start yeah. to begin, you know, it's all thought out. And, you know, I think the first thing that I really listened to, or at least was like really into that was like that was, was tool. And so I can definitely like trace all that, uh, back to, th- I mean, I, I play the drums and I played the drums because I thought Danny Carey was the coolest member of tool. Right. And like, I thought the drumming was so, you know, badass, and, you know, it made me go buy some drums and, uh, you know, he used to, used to use Danny Carey, uh, signature sticks and everything, you know, <laughs> like, so, you did know, you try I, to rebuild his kit there, uh, oh, 64 yeah. like, drums or something. <laughs> I did. I, I had a, I had a double bass kit for, for a little oh, bit and stuff. And even those sticks we were, Danny Carey's like six foot, he was like a, uh, base, uh, basketball player and stuff. I'm five foot five and at the time <laughs> weighed like 110 pounds. Those sticks were built with somebody with like, you know, giant tree hands uh you know not 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 built for me um but you know it was uh i i I, like definitely credit tool with like setting me on a a path uh that i followed down yeah what about you darren yeah um similar you know like i remember when i was first listening to the to anima like I felt like third eye was like the longest song i'd ever heard ever (laughs) Mm -hmm, okay in fact the first few times that i was like listening to that record i just couldn't get through it like it was just it was just too long you know let me give yeah. me get back to stink fist or something like you know <laughs> what i mean um and now coming back to it it's like it's already over <laughs> you know what i mean uh you know listening to <clears throat> classical music things like things with like really long pieces you know uh similar to what you were describing uh dan but you know other than that though uh you know i guess like the sort of like very metalish guitar stuff. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's really much that I'm listening to these days that uh, gets me into that. You know, I, I am, you know, I've always been a sucker for, you know, insane drumming, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I but I, even now a days, I don't really have anything I think that would truly compare. What, what about you, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of interesting because there is a lot of stuff that I I do think um, I must have been gravitating toward at that time. You know, stuff like like Swans is obviously uh, has a lot of similarities, you know, to Tool in a way, um, even though what do we say that uh, Swans is Tool for adults? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's something about that, like just that you know, it's almost like a post-rock thing. Obviously, gotten gotten to post-rock a little later, but these, like, long songs are supposed to build in intensity and be some kind of, like, huge piece, you know? Um, I think about other stuff like, you know, Slint. I uh, still love, obviously, and there's something about these kind of, like, hypnotic, um, you know, interesting time signatures and stuff, but it's it's meant to be sort of, like, I don't know, punishing or, <clears throat> or like, constantly driving. There's almost even, like, a... Um, you know, maybe it feels like a stretch, but certain aspects of minimalism, like the way that um, the way the Philip Glass, you know, these like arpeggiating kind of like lines are like start interweaving and interlocking and changing in time mm-hmm. signatures and beats and stuff. And, you know, I, I guess I found that really interesting. I also found like just the the sludge of it pretty um pretty great which i now really like in um like i've been listening to the new sun record a lot lately and you know it's almost like the first inkling of sun or earth or something that i ever had was um basically back in the tool days you know so it feels really really distant but then when i really you know thought about it um there are some connections now at what point and why did you basically fall out of love with tool are you like me where they became like incredibly um repulsive in a way at a certain point 
Yeah, I think it was like I, you know, I realized the pretension of it all and and the uh disappoint the disappointment of like 10,000 days didn't didn't help any of that. Mm. Um, you know, so like that record I I never really liked even, you know, as much as I tried to like it. So it, it left like a sour taste in my mouth and then, you know, I just I frankly just felt like I grew up a little bit and I I realized that it's not as deep as I thought it was. And <laughs> right. in fact, like, you know, some of the lyrics are, you know, pretty corny and yeah. like, I, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the, the doors episode. Uh, you know, I like as a kid was like obsessed with like Jim Morrison, you know, I thought he was the coolest right. guy ever. And then you like grow up a little bit and you're like, Oh no, he's kind of an asshole and sort of, you know, sucks. But, um, you know, Maynard was like the same thing. You know, I thought he was like the coolest guy ever and stuff. And then, you know, as I got older, I realized like, oh, he's like in his thirties or forties, and he's like saying this, you know, shit that me as a, a yeah, ninth grader, yeah. you know, like agrees with. You know, it, it it just sort of like became a little embarrassing. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like I sort of slowly drifted away uh, from it. You know, like Lateralis probably stuck in the rotation in the CD, uh, you know, booklet for a little bit longer than you know Undertow and 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 stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just moved away completely from liking, uh, really guitar based, uh, and especially, you know, more metally type things. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, tools, definitely not the only band that I was ever obsessed with that I ended up moving on from, but, um, uh, you know, I think the, this, them in particular, uh, you had to really be in a certain frame of mind, I feel like, um, to truly enjoy it you know what i mean and that was like a time like we've been describing it this whole whole way just kind of like of slowly like sort of growing up getting you know getting used to like you know finding out who you are and all these sorts of things and then once you do that you know mm-hmm. once you're sort of beyond that period you know tool is still tool like that their music does not change it doesn't you know the philosophy the thoughts all that are still the same so as you grow up or as i was growing up and just kind of like learning these things and no longer caring as much about the stuff I cared about in ninth grade. Right. Um, I found it more, more and more difficult to like relate to tool. And it was, it's not the sort of music that I could just like put on and, you know, just, you know, enjoy without having to, you know, concentrate on it. You know what I mean? I feel like you, you really have to be in the mood for it. And, you know, during the years beyond high school, you know, I probably, threw on stink fist or a little bit of lateralis every every now and then but there definitely came a point in time where it was just completely abandoned um i you know i don't necessarily think i was like repulsed by it but i was just so much more interested in other things and and different music and i just could no longer relate to that you know frame of mind that i was describing before you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird because it's like you know, probably around that same time. And actually there's some similarities between tool. You know, I was also obsessed with things like Pink Floyd um, for a lot of the same reasons, you know, that it's such a like cohesive body of work and there's like layers to it. You know, it's so deep, you know, Um, also stuff like Led Zeppelin um, for similar reasons. Um, We might disagree with some of this, but there was a period where that stuff was really distasteful to me also. Um, But looking back now, I think, like Zeppelin and Pink Floyd are pretty great, actually. Um, you know, I like them for different reasons. But 
Tool, I just really never had any desire. In fact, I think this week is like the first time I've listened to them since high school. Um, for me, I think the change came if, as I was thinking about it this week. It was basically like when I discovered Radiohead, which is really interesting because Radiohead was like all of a sudden, you know, I got OK Computer and I was like, this is everything that I like about Tool, but not cringy and not like embarrassing at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 like actually blowing my mind. It's actually so creative and forward thinking. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm trying to figure out like are are our experiences typical of what happens to tool fans as they grow up. And it's kind of worth noting that Pitchfork quite famously gave Lateralis a 1.9, <laughs> okay? And they basically are labeling them as like completely antithetical to everything that indie stood for, you know? And I feel like that's what happened to me was I discovered indie music and indie music is like, you know what I'm saying? There's like something so opposite to tool about, about indie music, because you could think about something like modest mouse, right? Modest mouse does go for quite grand and quite epic, like on the moon in Antarctica. And it, it does even does concept album type stuff. And yet there's something so different about the approach. I think you kind of know what I mean. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think the I think that thing is is like the technicality of Tool. You know, they're using all these weird time signatures. the The drums are like you know switching time signature. You know, going all crazy and stuff. And that is just not like something that happens in indie music. Yeah, not the virtuosity. Really. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, that's the word I was actually looking for. Um, <laughs> You know, like that, that's just not really like a tenet of indie music. Like, sure, you know, don't send me an email. I'm sure there's some bands that have it. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, when you think of like the tenets of indie music, you think of like some people who, you know, were friends yeah, and, and formed, amateurism yeah, they and formed a like band that. in their garage, you know, whoever was, you know, sort of the best at playing guitar, played guitar, the other guy played bass. And then, you know, they found the guy who sort of knew how to play drums. You know, you just don't really think of like virtuosity and stuff. And, uh, I, I think that like tool has that, you know, it's got that, like, it's got that prog stigma, uh, about yeah, it. And yeah, it Prague is basically the antithesis the of, 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 yeah. of indie music, you know? Yeah. What do you think, Darren? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's also a matter of like, tool music tool fans everything tool is like so serious like it takes itself so seriously you know what i mean i took myself so seriously (laughs) as i was listening to tool and indie music sort of just turns all that you know on its head right and it's no longer like thinking about like how serious you know the the sequence of the notes or the rhythm the section and like the lyrics or anything like that you know what i mean it's I don't want to just say that it's like fun and it doesn't care about anything. It's not that it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's like, <clears throat> it's really hard to describe without like, I'm like thinking of like people, you know what I mean? Like a person who I could think of is like, yeah, they, they take things like way too seriously, <laughs> but this guy, like he just kind of goes with the flow and is like less, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know what I mean? It's like really hard to, to describe it, but like that's, yeah. that really opened a lot of doors for me. Like indie music gave that's, perfect and like you know radiohead was kind of like that too where you know oh i you know i don't have to think so seriously about about everything you know what i mean exactly i yeah you you bringing up like radiohead is, is a good point you know like you sort of switched your obsession to to something else and i i kind of did the same thing about 2005 or so is when i got like super into bob dylan and uh. you know i sort of switched my obsession uh to something that was 
less embarrassing, you know? And yeah, it's just weird though, because they're, you know, they're like, we're gravitating toward the same things as we're mm-hmm. kind of growing up, obviously, because Bob Dylan, you know, like lyrically, I mean, there's certainly fun songs, um, and sort of a playfulness in general to him, but there's also stuff that's like really profound, or at least at the time we would have, you know, thought of it as the deepest thing ever. Yeah. Or and, um, and yet there's something not, um, not so self-serious about it or something just a little more honest about you know like when because isaac brock from modest mouse you know he's always like seriously just questioning like the universe you know like what why is the earth here and yeah. like, he gets all like you know but there's something kind of like innocent about it it's not i don't know it, it doesn't really seem it, he's you know with tool it's almost like they're like when when you think of that it's like they're almost like we have the answers whereas yeah. like isaac yeah. or you know dylan or something you know is like what is the answer and i think like you know because yeah. I, I still like deep music i you know i i enjoy you know a a, a, a deep lyric or whatever you know a philosophical thought but it, it's it's the difference of like the pondering and the like explaining with some weird math thing that is made up like yeah told us. yeah right <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I think we could, we'll, we'll keep coming back to that. Uh, this like, what is it about them that that sort of made us, um, you know, repulsed us at that time. But, you know, before we get into our experiences revisiting tool this week, I want to kind of talk about lateralis as if we were doing sort of a normal review. So how would you describe the sound of lateralis for somebody who's never heard it before? You know, it, it's, it's proggy, but like, but it's not, you know, all the way prog, you know, it's not yes or, or something like, or, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer or whatever, you know, it's not like that, like a glittery synth over, you know, it's like a metal version of that. It's, it's, but it still has like an at, like some atmosphere to it. Um, yeah. Kind of like an alternative metal where, you know, other than the drums, it's not like, it's not yeah it's yeah, not you like know, you know because like in middle school and stuff like yeah i love slipknot and stuff you know it's not like that kind of metal it, it's not right. like you know it's sludgy and kind of like yeah it's a you know, it's closer it. it's closer to like the melvins than yeah, to yeah. uh to to slipknot or something like that you know the like the the vocals aren't shouted or or yell i mean some you know he'll yell but it's not like that um right it, it, it's like for effect and it's not like constant and it's not uh like a growling you know that i hate it now you know like anytime somebody's just like screaming you know I, it's unpleasant to listen to tool doesn't really do that you know so there, there's like a there's a cohesion an atmosphere uh, like that a melodicism yeah it, and that that's honestly. all the sort of the proggy elements but then the drums and the like guitars pretty heavy and everything and so it, it, it's like a really like a melding of early 2000s metal with you know the the prog of uh the 70s and late 60s yeah king crimson style yeah they, style, i think really. they toured with king crimson even yeah what about you darren what would you describe i think i would as? maybe just add you know <clears throat> tool is kind of like uh you know uh what is it like five there's so there are five individuals right and um they're all like you know very you know good at their instruments so i think of like led zeppelin in this regard right um you know you have the guitarist where you're gonna hear a lot of like basically your drop d like really thick um yeah chord based uh riffs right um you've got a bassist who who really stands out so it's not just like kind of drumming along or whatever or mm-hmm. playing along like with the rhythm he's, he's he's doing a lot of like really interesting things of course you've got danny carey with his like 400 you know 
tom right. so you're gonna just need a lot of <laughs> right. a lot of drumming there um and of course you have maynard right so um you know i i think that they the way you were describing it, dan i i probably couldn't add much more to that but um and I, I hesitate to like want to say that it's like a really unique sound, but it, it's definitely something that like I don't really. I think it is find. unique. Yeah, I mean, I just I I find it really hard to look at a different band and say like, yeah, this is definitely Tool. I mean, obviously, there's like metal, new metal, and prog, as you kind of mentioned and stuff, but they seem to have sort of found something that really, yeah, stick, you know, sticks out just for them. And it, it really I, it actually comes through almost to their detriment on like Ten Thousand Days, and I fear for this next album as well. Yeah, you're right, actually, because I think that there's something about them where they take these, you know, they take this sort of sound and I'm not really super clear on all the details, but it's something that you would call like a post grunge sound. Um, A lot of bands around that period are starting to sound like this. And so it might be possible that tools kind of influencing them because they actually start quite early, like when grunge is still full blown, you know, and we can sort of say that there was always like a metalishness to like Alice in Chains or, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or a sound garden, like early sound garden stuff. So um, it's sort of coming out of that, but it's growing out of that into this like pretty dark and heavy and sort of overtly metal inspired thing that you would end up hearing, you know, later on in God, I was trying to think of bands like from my youth, like, uh, Chevelle breaking Benjamin, <laughs> Seether. uh, Seether, Seether. Uh, <laughs> system of a down Deftones, super, super Deftones, um, corn. Okay. There's a lot of corn oh, type, God. but they do something with it where they kind of make it feel like bigger and grander and like more serious than that stuff so it's like you know especially on this album um you know you often have these kind of slow build-ups and these kind of like circular um guitar lines and stuff and the bass is like you mentioned is often quite um i don't even know how to describe but it's like so clean that you can hear like the strings sort of vibrating Mm -hmm. and stuff and it gives this kind of spidery like intricacy to these looping rhythms. And a lot of times like the time signatures are changing and um, it's just interweaving. And of course the drums are like completely intricate in the same way. And, um, and then they, they often do this thing where they, you know, sort of build this up or just explode, but it just goes into like a pure fury before sort of, mellowing out and like vibing out again so i think that's what it's like that vibing that gives it that like it feels closer to the 70s rock of king crimson than a corn yeah you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. you know i embarrassingly enough liked corn a lot when i <laughs> the, the the first concert i like went to uh you know of my choosing was was corn um and yeah you know it, it, there there's something like very different you know corn's that like new metal like a little uh the tinge of, of rap in it sometimes right, you right, know right. and the you know, tool th- thankfully does not uh you know do any of that <laughs> yeah you know and for this album specifically, you know, I I, I uh, hesitate to jump into like criticisms and stuff, but I think it's going to be inevitable. But basically, there is a kind of rawer sound that, you know, this week I, I basically re-listened to Anima a little bit and then a lot of Lateralis uh, for this conversation. Wanted to go farther than that, but it's just like their albums are pretty freaking long. So, um, you know, Anima was always my shit in high school. That was like really my favorite uh, by a lot. And... You know, I sort of realized this week that there is a like there's a lot more just 
I don't know, distortion, but also like kind of looseness and fuzziness to that album. Um, Whereas Lateralis sounds like perfect, Yeah, you know, it just sounds like everything is perfect to the point where they either recorded everything, you know, a hundred takes till it was flawless or even used Pro Tools or something to like fix the occasional Tom that wasn't in the exact spot, you know, or something. It's got that, even if they didn't do that, it sounds like that. It is so clean and I think it really hurts this album how sleek it is did that strike you guys at all yeah i was actually thinking that because uh i listened to like opiate um a bit uh over the week and you know that record is like uh two of the tracks are are live and uh, you know it just sounds like kind of loose uh i think it came out in 92 um and it's it's like it sounds like maybe the the best of those like post grunge kind of bands you know like Mm -hmm. it it hasn't gone full you know radio uh rock yet and uh it was like kind of kind of raw and like you know there was like a little bit of a a punk in it and everything and then yeah Yeah. when you when you get in and that sort of like it seems like every record that disappears just a little bit you know like undertow still got like quite a bit of it um anima it's there but you know there's things like i I think like push it and third eye and stuff like sort of don't have it anymore uh but then yeah when you get to lateralis this is like slick and clean i i was i was like listening you know like at night like you close my eyes and just trying to like you know focus on on everything and it's just like you know you can almost like see it written out you know just like everything is like in the right place like you said like with pro tools like i don't don't know if i I don't i don't not that familiar with the technology of of 2001 but uh you know i don't i don't know if they had like quantization uh like they do nowadays and stuff uh but it's almost like but it sounds like it's like they might as well have left the click track in because oh yeah exactly is yeah yeah exactly what i'm saying darren yeah, it sounds like incredibly like mathematical. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. so precise um, that there's no room for for anything. And I, you know, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong on this tool history here. But, um, <laughs> I, I I do believe that this album in particular it was like the first time that the band recorded like the, the majority of the album without Maynard being involved like at all. Right. So it was just like the instruments. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, don't don't quote me, uh, you know, but but a little off on my tool trivia, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, they they definitely did it with 10,000 days, but I think it started here where like basically the band recorded the record and then when they were finished, Maynard came, came in, wrote and recorded lyrics, you know, as sort and of it, a second. It secondary. sounds like that. Yeah, yeah it yeah, really exactly. does. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like if 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 Maynard's not there and it's just them, you know, spending the whole summer or more playing the songs over and over again i can imagine why it would get to this point where it is like so perfectly i mean they had sync, you know they had what six years with anima's 96 i think um yeah. so yeah i mean they had five six years uh, of of working on this record you know but i also i also kind of feel like it sounds very recorded so like mm-hmm. There's always this problem when you're recording music because it's typical to do things separately, Mm -hmm. but you want it to have the energy as if it was, you know, played live. This is like the eternal issue. Like, how do you capture a band's live sound basically on a a studio studio, record? And, you know, it's weird because it's almost like they're not even trying. I just feel like Maynard, he sounds like a guy standing in a booth, you know, not Mm -hmm. like, like a guy that's like, you know, 
playing really with a band. Uh, he sounds so like detached. And then even the guitar I find here throughout the whole album is often like, you know, I, I just hear a guy sitting in an expensive studio in a chair, you know, like yeah. that's the sound I get from the guitar. And it's like the lines and stuff, you know, the sludginess and the, you know, it, it almost calls for like a raw, reckless abandon at points. You know, I think like specifically of something like um, Triad or something, which is supposed to kind of like, you know, build up crescendo in a way. There's other stuff like when the guitar comes in on ticks and leeches that's supposed to be quite aggressive. And, you know, nothing really like sounds unhinged or out of control ever, you know? No, exactly. And I think that's what gives this record in particular that like sort of proggy feel. Like prog is always, or at least what I'm familiar with, it's like usually like very calculated, you know, there's not, and and it was sort of a reaction to punk that was the opposite of that. You know, it's, it's calculated. The notes are where they're supposed to be, you know, and, and it is, it's like you could separate out the guitar track, the drum track, the bass track, you know, whatever. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you've, you know, it doesn't feel like those things were recorded at the same time or right, in the same right. room or anything. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think this record suffers from that uh, much there, more there, than the previous ones. There were just points where I'm thinking like, you know, there'd be like a bass line or something like um, on a reflection or something like that. That's quite, um, you know, it's quite like hypnotic and meditative. And I I could almost hear in my head like swans making a similar you know, groove or something, but it would be punishing and it would be raw. You know, it would be like, like basically all the wheels would fucking come off as it built up. Um, and I just never heard that kind of intensity, which is weird because I used to kind of feel like this record was so explosive. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, Darren? Yeah, exactly. Um, ticks and leeches, for instance, sounds like it should be the wheels should be coming off because it's just, yeah, you know, it, it is punishing and and so you know abrasive, um, but yet it sounds so perfectly. You know what I mean? Like I know it is very difficult. The feedback, to, like when the you, feedback yeah. sounds like planned, you know, right. and like done over and over again until it's perfect. It's never kind of like squealing out of his control, you know. Well, and then the drums just don't sound like like if you were in a room with a drum set, even if it you have all these different digital drums mixed with like live drums and stuff. Like I just, it just doesn't sound at all like what I would expect. You know what I mean? Like it, it sounds totally, you know, digitized somehow. No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, I remember being, you know, being a kid and stuff and I thought the drums on ticks and leeches were like the coolest fucking thing ever. (laughs) You know, like I, I just was like, you know, I said, I, I, I got drums basically because of tool. And I always was like, man, if just one day I could play, ticks and leeches i'd be the i'd be the greatest drummer ever and uh you know now i listen to it and uh i still can't play that and um you know and but now i can't play it and i don't really i don't really care to uh you know it it just it seems like too perfect like like it's either done a million times or quantitized or you know just over i I don't know perfectly tuned we're in like rush yeah exactly yeah fish or something you know like just yeah you got you got a drum you you have 50 drums but you got you know a a a staff of eight people to toot them all um right you know i and that's just the kind of stuff that i i don't really enjoy in in music now i even took a note here when i was listening to ticks and leeches where 
you know, because I was kind of thinking like, oh yeah, you know, I think like a lot of what I uh, must have liked about this, I now kind of find in stuff like Sun. And I, you know, I'm thinking of it particularly because I'm listening to their most recent record a lot. But then when I, I'm on Ticks and Leeches, I'm like, this is actually the opposite of Sun, mm-hmm. you know, which is Sun, it just, it sounds huge and it sounds raw and it just, you're hearing like the reverberation of a space and like, you know, a wall of amplifiers like shaking a room, you know, and there are, the whole point of it is that there are little um, things you could never duplicate. Yeah. You know, there are like just tones and reverberations and pulses and stuff that sort of emerge. And um, this is like completely controlled. So like totally sterilized. But, um, you know, let's dive into some noteworthy tracks specifically. Um, you know, maybe it's a highlight. Maybe it's something that you, you know, just remember liking a lot and can't believe how much you hate <laughs> now. Um, or maybe it's something you think is absolutely shit. What, what is something that really stood out to you? You know, I, I sort of, uh, there, there's flaws in every track on this record, I think. But, you know, I sort of enjoy, like, The Patient is, is not a bad song. Uh, the same with The Grudge. Maybe it's just I haven't gotten tired of it yet uh, by that uh, point but you know they're like it's like i when i was listening to them, i was thinking like i did this last night i, I like listened to the like first half of the record and i was like you know i think there's something good here and i was trying to like you know like what what would i change to make this like a record that i would love today and it's like yeah i think you guys kind of really brought it out it's like if you just put if instead of it being so perfect and so shiny and so you know uh waxed over like if this was recorded you know live in a studio you know as a band i think i think things like the grudge i mean ticks and leeches would be great if it was unhinged uh and everything like like you guys were just saying but but the grudge the patient um i i think like really have potential that just sort you know sort of falls flat with 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 the the mistakes yeah. but then also you know this may be pure nostalgia but schism kind of a heater you know that, that's not that's not a bad song <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that I, I do really like i think like the sort of circular hypnotic guitar lines on the patient um are really actually really great and there's a certain you know i was thinking about this too that there's a certain like um emotionalness to that mm-hmm. song yeah um, <clears throat> it comes through maynard he he does really well on that track, i think I that know. yeah i think that's yeah. maynard's best like performance on the record is is the patient and I, I always found you know even back back then in high school that i really liked those moments and was not so into the pure rage um you know something like ticks and leeches it was never one of my favorites and i would yep, often same. kind of find like on the patient or even the grudge you know, I would be like, wow, this has like kind of a great atmosphere. I don't really need the like thrashing out that, you know, uh, like it's just the obligatory thrashing and yelling that has to happen sort of at the climax of every track. But um, Darren, what were some things that stood out to you? Um, I mean, my favorite song on the record is the title track, Lateralis. Um, okay. It was a favorite back in the day. It was probably my probably had the highest play count on my ipod for a long time um and i <laughs> still yourself. to this day yeah <laughs> yeah um to this day i still find that track to be pretty much you know perfect by tool standards um you know this is the one that has the whole fibonacci sequence going on and stuff and it's right. you know it's to me it's less like deep in that regard but just kind of cool to listen to and and you know kind of pay attention how 
the track evolves to this sort yeah, of like mathematical sequence of yeah it's like really 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 neat and I, I think it's like a cool achievement and um another thing that i find very interesting is again like if you consider that the band had like basically constructed the song and then Maynard kind of comes in afterwards to put it together with like lyrics, like how well the lyrics play along with this idea yeah. of like a spiral and stuff like really, uh, it just works really well. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I would skip over ticks and leeches. Cause I just wanted to get to, to lateralis, which is the next track on the record. Um, yeah, yeah. There's something pretty interesting actually about like the sort of, the through line of this album like the bigger theme is something about you know it's like the idea is is, is good but it, it's just executed in, in usually a pretty corny way you know but it's something like transcendence or spirituality achieved through science and like mathematics and stuff mm-hmm. there's some sort of like attempt to bridge those to reach some higher plane you know and right because you have like layers a- to the body like if you look at like the the artwork or mm-hmm. alex gray's artwork you know which of course i have the book you know right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's something about like that song lateralis which is you know really i think kind of neat in the sense that the message of the song seems to be something about like embracing randomness mm-hmm. you know of the universe um and yet the whole thing is perfectly <laughs> yeah, exactly formulated you know but there's something kind of cool about that that it's like basically you're listening to like a mathematical principle and it's kind of like the same you know cool vibe that i get from like um you know steve reich's music for 12 musicians or, so, or 18 musicians rather it's like you kind of feel like you're listening to math but there's something like really moving about it um Lateralis is a song where they nail that, and yet other times I feel like the, this idea is handled so cringily, you know, where it's just like, he's kind of just saying like deep nothings in a way. Um, I think of like uh, Parabola, where it's kind of like doing the same trick, and he's sort of, he keeps talking about like choosing to be here in this body or something, like um, like embrace the material or something, even though you're you know, we're all spirits or something like that. Um, and then he keeps saying like, this pain is an illusion. And I'm like, wait a fucking minute. You, <laughs> you just, just said, said like, yeah. I should embrace my body. I think you just thought that pain is an illusion was like a cool line. You know, I, I um, get- it's like, it goes like, we are eternal this pain is just an illusion or something like that yeah yeah Yeah. that totally contradicts the message of the fucking song which maybe i was intentional but it feels like it was intended to have kids write this on their notebooks you know (laughs) exactly you know i I, a lot of tool lyrics are that way you know they're they're Mm -hmm. they're cool things to write on your notebook and i'm sure i (laughs) fucking did a lot of that but uh yeah, you know, he he contradicts himself a, a bit and just some of it is just so stupid. It's almost you know, like when when I was a kid, I might have said that Maynard was the best part of Tool, but now I kind of think that Maynard is sort of the thing that that holds them back <laughs> quite, yes. quite a bit. Yes. I yes. yes. Can we talk yeah. about this cuz Yeah. Seriously like on I listened to 10,000 Days. Oh, um, yeah. This, I this week. I'm glad you bring this to that up. record. I was like I was like, "Oh my god, the, it it's Maynard's fault. Like this is, I thought <laughs> this record is bad because of Maynard. I thought the exact same thing. Cause I listened to that record and I was like, I want, you know, I wonder if this is as bad as I thought it was when I was in high school. And you know, the first couple track, you know, like what it was a jam by vicarious, like the, the music is like pretty, you know, 
tool standards like pretty you know pretty yeah, good like follow up to lateralis basically yeah but oh my yeah exactly and but the the lyrics especially vicarious mm-hmm. oh it's so cringy it's so like embarrassing about rosetta Sto- oh rosetta my Stone. yeah i'm glad that you at least like sort of can't understand him half the time uh like th- yeah, that was a good that was a good choice whoever thought of that i did i did uh I did kind of feel that way listening to this record because it was kind of like all week I just would put it on in the background and just kind of reminisce and stuff. Um, and it wasn't until today, actually, that I pulled up Genius and I followed along to the lyrics um, to sort of remind myself of those. And they were pretty embarrassing um, overall. Um, you know, stuff like The Grudge, right, is um, about having a grudge. <laughs> and that's it and there's sort of like a there's like peppered through it is this kind of like astrology shit like about saturn and stuff like that and um it's like kind of brilliant because you could say like yeah dude it seems like it's about holding a grudge but it's like deeper you know Um, there's always something that like Uh you know you think about like schism schism is about when you're having a schism with another person that's the that's what the song is about okay so Mm -hmm. it's a breakup song and yet and the lyrics are really kind of like, you know, I just think like, oh my God, like I could have, you know, I could, I would have written this kind of poetry in ninth grade. Um, and yet there's something like sort of, um, you know, just intangible about it that like, he's, he's like vague enough that you could read into it mm-hmm. a lot. But I, I really don't think there's like that much going on you know well and that song was like a that was a mega hit i remember hearing that on like 98 rock yeah a local station too. here just all the time like a, you know the mainstream alternative station so it, it was hard for me to to love that song because i felt like not that i felt like they were selling out but i just felt oh like, it was like the mainstream oh yeah. man like, oh man you gotta you gotta go back and listen to uh was it hooker with a penis uh, uh yeah. Adam <laughs> and, and, and learn that he he sold out uh before uh you ever even heard him or whatever the stupid yeah, lyrics yeah. Right. And i'm still giving his money giving him money and no exactly yeah. but but yeah you're right you know with the the lyrics are so cringy you know it's stuff that I mean, it spoke to me when I was in ninth grade because it's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff you would write when you're in ninth grade. But I just looked it up. He would have been either 36 or 37, depending <laughs> on whenever his birthday is, yeah. uh, when, when this record came out, which is, uh, you know, I'm, th- I'm 31 now, and I, I would be very embarrassed to write any of these lyrics down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of like the thing of that, uh, of that time. All those bands, like, you know, whatever, all those post-grunge bands were kind of like really creepily talking about high school things right so do you think that they are intentionally writing for that sort of audience you know i wonder i do you everything about tool listening this week gives me this vibe of like they are a stadium rock band and they think about the stadium tour that they Mm -hmm. will go on um they they know their audience Yeah. yeah they do they know all this stuff they know their brand you know they're very conscious of it um there are i mean i was thinking about that as like a possible explanation because i was like god you know the there's something like so sterile about the way this is recorded. And I realized that a lot of times there's really just like one guitar. It's not like layered up that much. Right. And I was kind of thinking like, this is almost like designed for their live show. Mm -hmm. This is like, we don't, we're not going to add anything that we couldn't easily do live, you know, because there's stuff where it's like, Oh, there's like, you know, uh, I'm going to add a little atmosphere here. And it's just like a single synth, you know, just kind of like whatever, or it's like a single, it's just put some phaser on the guitar or something. It's really, um, you know, it's not like 
something like that was blowing my mind when I discovered Radiohead, where I was like, oh my God, there's like worlds in here, you mm-hmm. know? Um, it's really quite pared down. And I, I do really believe that they think about like the stadium tour. You agree with me? Yeah, I could see that, you know, I mean, especially there's only four people in the band, you know, uh, I know like uh, live, like Danny takes care of some of those like weird, you know, yeah. uh, uh, accoutrements uh, that, that happen uh, with like triggers and everything. But yeah, you know, everything is sort of like uh, able to be played live. And, you know, I, I saw them um, for the 10,000, the, like, right when 10,000 it was either right before 10,000 days or right after 10,000 days you know and they you know they still were playing a lot of lateralis and it sounded like the record you know it wasn't like a different thing live um and i know you know it was always like a big thing they they only played ticks and leeches live one time i don't know if that's still true but uh up, (laughs) up until the point you know and it's like when you think of and the reason they couldn't is because like Maynard yells so much. Like I, I, re, I realize now it, it wasn't like it's too hard to play or there was too many layer, you know, it was, it was just simply yeah. like it would ruin his voice to do it for a whole tour. Right. Right. That's true. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And I remember seeing them live and I, I guess I didn't think about it. Yeah. I saw them with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you know, their, their record, uh, saliva, that, that live record, has a version of like um push it on there from the anima record that's like totally different and like i love it i love it so much just because like it just would be so cool to you know it goes back to our conversation about live albums you know like to see things done in a different way but like tool is just not other than that song i can't think of any other example where they really deviate from the plan you know no, what I mean? like and, basi- yeah, and basically and basically that that what you're talking about is because they have like a guest uh it's like danny's drum teacher playing like tabla drum you know and that's like basically the only reason why it's different i thought about this on this album um especially because when i went back and listened to anima you might say it's lame but i actually think it like really really works well for tool where they have a lot of that eastern type of stuff Mm -hmm. going on you know it's like they add as on Anima, they add like tabla and stuff a lot. They mm-hmm. add like these kind of like droning, you know, they might be sitars, they might not, but like there's like, you know, there's something they're trying to create this like meditative, um, some of these, some of like the dronier parts sound like almost chants, you know, um, and there's barely any of that on this album. And I thought it was like really a missing kind of like color from the tonal palette here that made this sound like quite, um, there's there's actually it's the same exact like tonal palette on every single song mm-hmm. which makes it a bit like trying but um and i really thought they could have spiced it up a little bit with some of that like eastern stuff even if you do think it's lame it, it like is much needed uh reprieve um you know on that note also in regard to anima i find the sort of interlude tracks of this album quite disappointing um it's weird because we talk about Tool being really serious, and of course they are, but Anima is quite funny uh, in a lot of ways, you know? Oh, um, yeah. They're like, this was like my first, um, my introduction to trolling, you know, before the internet, basically, <laughs> and before 4chan and all that stuff, because, you know, like naming a song Stink Fist or something, and it's about like, you know, it's it's like it's fucking hilarious because it's it's got this kind of like self-serious message of like pushing on through to the other side and stuff. But they frame it as like anal fisting, you know, <laughs> um, 
Which is really fucking funny. And it, it almost seems like they're joking and, about themselves a little bit. There's stuff like Useful Idiot is like kind of a prank on the audience, you know, for the vinyl version to think. Because it's a locked groove, you know, on that uh, on the vinyl. And it just sounds like a record like fucking up. Um, message to Harry Manback is is funny. It's yes. like an answering machine message that some angry Italian, I don't know, <laughs> left. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. You know, we've got intermission, which is like kind of a fun, like circusy version of the riff that's going to be on Jimmy. And then most famously, you know, we've got this um, die von Satan or whatever, which is like a cookie recipe as if it was a Nazi <laughs> rally, um, you know, in German. Um, on Lateralis, there's nothing like really funny about anything here. There's yeah. no like humor. There's no jokes. There's no, um, you know, the, you know, you might say like, okay, so mantra which is a little instrumental thing here is sort of funny. If you know that it's just like a slowed down version of, of what did you say, Dan, like Maynard squeezing his cat? Yeah. Yeah. It's him like squeezing his cat. I actually, I have lateralis on vinyl still. And I, I just, before we did this, I put it on 78 and cranked, cranked it up as fast as I could get it. Uh, you know, with the, uh, uh, pitch control and uh, uh it, it's still a little too slow but you could definitely tell it's like a you, you could tell it's a it's a cat at that point which yeah that is that is a it's a little funny, it's a little funny but it's lazy it's like a lazy joke exactly. compared to the you, like you wouldn't know and, it by listening to it at all no right, i right. i didn't even know that until literally today i read it and i i told you guys because it's funny because i've like done that on my i like to hide my cat in <laughs> my songs all the time just because i think it's a little bit of a funny joke um so I, maybe i got ninth grade humor still but um you and you and maynard <laughs> yeah we're know? best buds um but yeah i mean a tool like up until lateralis like always had sort of this funny uh stuff you know there was everything um uh opiate has that like uh gaping lotus experience i think it's called and it's like some weird story about uh maynard's friend taking acid and, and peeing on his lighter and stuff and uh-huh. then um undertow has a, a couple like little joke like four degrees is supposed to be like the ass is four degrees warmer than vagina or so, something <laughs> stupid like that you know and right. i mean when i was in ninth grade there was nothing funnier yeah. than that it's a little juvenile but it's still like no exactly you know it's and under what is it like uh disgustipated it's like this weird uh hidden track uh, on track 69 on the cd uh yeah. where you know it's like a he's like a preacher like talking about carrots and rabbits or something oh uh, yeah yeah about that. and saliva has maynard's dick uh, uh as right. a you know bonus uh-huh. it's like basically he took all that humor and then he he made uh pussifer like his his side project band that i never even yeah. liked when i was young um he, you know all the um all the sort of humor is sucked out of of lateralis yeah, well, and there was something yeah. funny about like undermining their own self seriousness. You know right. what I mean, Darren? Yeah, and I think that you know part of that probably comes from like being a band together and like writing an album together. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. sort of understanding like, hey, you know, the music does sound kind of serious, but I could I could totally see these sort of like funny ideas coming up in the midst of of writing. Whereas, you know, by the time we get to Lateralis, Maynard it's not checked out but he's just he's just off doing other things and this is like more of like a just a project to come along and you know yeah write down some lyrics and then it, it gets worse with Ten Thousand days because at that point he's got how many other projects dan you know no yeah exactly I mean, you know perfect circles going on i think perfect circle starts uh 
Does it start after Ladder Lateralis or before Lateralis? Yeah. It's somewhere. It's like like 2003. Same time, right? Oh, you know, what? I think I think I think the first Perfect Circle record is like '99. Uh, you know, so it's it's slightly uh. before this. So yeah, yeah, it's like that. That makes sense. Yeah, because I saw Perfect Circle live before I ever saw Tool. Um, you know, so so yeah, his like attention seems split, and it, it did always sort of seem like the humor, especially now, you know, knowing like Pussifer and all that shit. Uh, it did seem like the humor sort of came from Maynard, um, and because the the bonus track here on on Lateralis, um, I, I think it's the coolest of their like bonus tracks. Um, but it, it's basically devoid of of humor. It's it's this uh, like recording from coast to coast AM, uh, a radio show I used to love when I was a kid. By the way, um, <laughs> came on after Loveline. He used to always listen to it. But um, you know, it's like this guy talking about aliens, and the, the broadcast gets cut off. And uh, I, I know that that track was like completely. Um, uh, put together by Danny Carey, it's like his um, mm. his uh, reverb unit. I, I think it's a probably a Space Echo uh, RE twenty, um, like going bad, and he was like sampling it, it like basically dying, and then added this uh, you know radio show on it. But and it, it's cool. It, it, it is like sort of a spooky, cool like thing on this record. But yeah. but it, it's it's humorless, you know. There's no joke. Yeah, because they they used to sort of joke about aliens and stuff in a way, um, and. This is more serious, but I, I kind of felt like it was my favorite song on the album because it's like genuinely a little unhinged. Actually. It is a little the drums, <laughs> the drums sound like him playing in a room, you know, I don't know if yeah. it's just an effect or what, but it's the only one that doesn't sound perfect. It sounds like reckless intentionally. And the, um, you know, like s- glitchy synth, like droning noises, um, they like actually build up and get like crazier and crazier um unlike any of the guitars on the album and then yeah just the i don't know there's something like actually spooktastic about that track um (laughs) but um yeah were you gonna add something darren no i mean you know we were talking about the humor and the the sidetracks but like look at the think about the lyrics of all the songs on on lateralis there's like there's no commentary about like an l ron hubbard there's no uh you know you know say you know like in uh, on the song anima like fucking saying fuck everybody basically like name yeah mm -hmm. people you know i mean like there's just nothing uh i guess like relevant to i don't know the world that we're in and i I feel like anima and undertone all those things like there's a lot of commentary it may not be like super political but there's a lot of commentary on that but this is like so again like very like self-serious and Mm -hmm. You know, I know. I kind of thought about, I thought about like Ticks and Leeches, which is kind of like a fuck you to his record label. And I guess like the the reason that this had been so delayed, um, although maybe they're now that we've waited whatever how many years, <laughs> uh, maybe they're just full of shit. But uh, was like legal problems, yeah. and um, you know, so Ticks and Leeches is basically fuck you to their label, which is a there's a rich tradition of bands you know writing songs about fuck my label, um, and you know, I was thinking about something like just lyrically it's so embarrassing you know it's just like you know the metaphor my label is like a tick and a leech it's like trying to suck me dry like you know this is not like you know love it or hate it something like pink floyd's have a cigar is about the same topic and it's just infinitely more you know because like nobody really wants to listen to a band bitch about their label um you gotta do something kind of creative about it um I think about something like Nirvana's um, radio-friendly unit shifter or something, which is like a real mm-hmm. funny send-up of that, um, but also kind of angry. 
Um, and then, you know, we could even come back to um, Hooker with a Penis from Anima, which is like, you know, not the label, but like fans accusing him of selling out as we were talking about. And it's like actually kind of funny and done in a way that makes me care. And it's not just like a pretty rich rock star complaining. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Because again, it's not like completely self-serious, especially in like Hooker with a Penis. He's sort of like... Um, you know he's knocking himself down he's selling he's saying that yeah right. yeah i sold i sold out before you ever yeah. even knew who i right. was you know i've, I've he's talking to you as the listener saying like yeah and look at you you're you bought you're it, gonna buy this record and buy the next one or whatever yeah know? yeah he's saying that like, if anyone's an idiot you're the idiot um you know, <laughs> know. and and i love the like i genuinely like i think it gets a little corny at the end when it's like shut up and bye bye yeah you know, but i love the part where it breaks down and it's like whatever he says like everything you see on tv and here on whatever is a you know brand begging for your dollar you know it's like it's actually not even cringy it's actually true you know mm-hmm, and like yeah. to say that a band a famous band is selling out is so to be so clueless about how like oh, the music yeah. industry works or something so it's like it's it's like he's making fun of himself, but he's actually so dead on and ticks and leeches is just embarrassing you know yeah i mean it really it's it's like you know calling a lawyer a shark you know it's just like it it it, 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 it takes no effort or you know the 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 metaphor is so paper thin uh that it's 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 almost distracting uh you know now nowadays when i listen to it yeah so um you know i guess we've sort of bled into the you know idea of uh what it was like revisiting um and things that kind of surprised us coming back but did you find listening this week that there was anything redeeming about this album? You know, I I, I sort of I like I, I sort of enjoyed going back to it. You know, part of it was nostalgia. You know, I probably haven't listened to this in you know close to ten years, yeah. if not ten years. Um, and this was like at a time probably I would have said my favorite record of all time. You know, and. It is weird to like listen to something that you haven't heard for so long and like still know every lyric, you know, um, oh, yeah. and everything, you know, like I, I, I felt like I had just listened to it yesterday. Um, you know, so uh, I, I enjoyed I like should have started texting you the lyrics. That's what I, I should have. That's done. what we should. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so like that was that was fun. Like the nostalgia. But, but like, I think I like I, I sort of enjoyed listening to, you know, like it was like a, it was definitely a flawed record. Like I said, I, you know, like I listened to it and I thought like the, the bones here are, gr- are pretty good. You know, there's like, there's like a good song here. It's just over polished. Oh, you know, there, there's just things that you could change and you could make this like a great record. Whereas, you know, other things I listened to in early high school, middle school, I, I don't think I could say the same for you know. I don't think I could take. Right. I could. I don't think I, if, if I listened to you know whatever corn record. I think it. Would, I think it would just <laughs> right. be. I think it would just from start to finish. It would be a miserable experience. Whereas this, it was like ah, uh, you know, you got a little cringe uh, here and there. But overall, especially if you just didn't pay attention to the lyrics that hard, um, you know, I would say like I I sort of enjoyed the record. You know, like I didn't have to force myself to listen to it. I listened to it, you know, maybe more times than I like absolutely like needed to for for the podcast and stuff, you know. Um, am I going to continue, you know, adding this in the rotation? I, you know, I highly doubt. I highly doubt that. <laughs> but you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I guess is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I um pretty much the same. You know, I I enjoyed the sort of like trip down memory lane. You know, um, listening to Anima, listening to Slival, listening to this record several times. Um, you know, it was it was a little jarring at first. I'll admit because it was you know it's it was just again I I go back to like being in that headspace. You know. Mm-hmm. And I'm so far, obviously, removed from that headspace. Yeah. Like listening back was like really like, wow, this is this is almost like more difficult than say listening to like Nirvana or something like that. But um, you know, after after getting into it, like I, you know, I enjoyed it. You know, I think that this record is is fine, and it, you know, fortunately, there's some there's some really great tracks on here that really make it a much better record than like Ten Thousand Days. You know, like yeah. listening to that was just like, oh my god, this is atrocious. But, um, you know, I, uh, songs like Lateralis, you know, I think Schism, now that I'm kind of beyond the, it's, yeah. you know, a super mega single, uh, are still really strong mm-hmm. tracks, you know, um, I do, we talked about The Patient, I think that's a great track as well, uh, so I think those are, you know, some redeeming qualities, I, I, like you, Dan, I don't think I'm gonna come back to it in terms of, like, rotating, but, like, certainly, uh, I certainly can imagine myself, you know, revisiting every now and then. Yeah, I was, um, you know, I think there's some interesting stuff here. Like I was kind of saying, um, you know, you really kind of got to just like ignore the lyrics. Um, there's some nice vocal melodies, but I kind of, I found myself on one hand feeling the way, um, you know, like something like, um, Queens of the Stone, Stone Age. Okay. So, they're another band that I would kind of, you know, it's, it's not exactly the same and obviously not even close to the same level of obsession or anything like that, but it was kind of like, I liked them back in the day. And, um, and I just, I, I firmly believe, and in fact, I think their first album is kind of um testament to this as, as well as like their sort of previous, like Caius stuff, um, that if it wasn't for the slick, you know, like rock radio production, that those would be actually like pretty cool records. And I kind of feel the same about this. Um, it's like, it's for me, almost ruined by the clean, slick production, the sterilized playing that we were talking about, um, Pro Tools vibe that you get. But this exact record, like, played, you know, for real, like in a garage or something. Um, you know, if it was produced by Steve Albini, it mm-hmm. might be like an absolutely amazing record, honestly. Um, because musically there's just like a lot of really cool stuff here um but i will say that i found myself kind of like um really underwhelmed by this record and actually um in maybe even beyond a nostalgic way enjoying anima a lot more um Mm -hmm. like like i like i said this one was just like a lot more serious and pretentious than i than i thought it was and you know people would always say oh tool is so pretentious and i would always kind of think to myself like i don't know i always thought of them as like really funny um you know, even though there obviously was like a deepness and an anger and stuff to it, but um, that's all gone here. And I, I really, if you had asked me before last week, I would have, uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't have thought that. I didn't even realize that there's no humor whatsoever <laughs> on this album. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, like Anima and stuff has like a sort of like ween quality to it. 
where it's mm-hmm. like you know it's a serious band and they're like really good musicians and stuff but but yeah they can like kind of poke fun and, and be a little jokey or you know or even like they know they know their new video is going to be on beavis and butthead ex- exactly <laughs> exactly you know it, it's sort of that uh you know frank zappa sort of type thing yeah. at, at times you know but being able to poke fun at yourself and yeah that's just completely gone here from lateralis but I'm glad you brought up like the Queens of the Stone Age thing because I was thinking that exact same thing. Because one, I heard of Caius because uh, in the old Napster days, I would get like weird live tool things and they had like done Demon Cleaner, which is the Caius song. And that's how I like found that band. And, um, but then Queens of the Stone Age, I, I listened to a lot of Loveline, uh, like old old Loveline tapes, and uh, one of the like bumper musics they've been using on the ones I'm, I'm at now, which is 2000, is like some Queen of the St- Stone Age song. I don't know which one, and I, it's like that little like you know 10 15 second bumper. It's like oh man, that song's like pretty rad. But and I'm like I should I should listen to that record. But then I remember like oh no, they just fuck it up and it's clean, shiny, overproduced. You know, yeah. and I don't know if it's just a symptom of the early 2000s. Like they're just that was like the peak of like the music business. Like I, I like I watched the schism video last night and I thought like, man, today a band like this, <laughs> right. that's that's not, you know, top 40 pop hit would never get enough money to make that music video. Right. Like I was looking at that. I was watching the whole time I watched that video. I was like, God damn, how much money did this cost? You know, it was like <laughs> it was like probably like that video. It probably cost a million dollars like or yeah. close there to it and like that would never happen today and i think that that is part of the problem is that there was the music business was so flush with cash that a band like tool that is like while popular alternatively popular like had a million dollars to go make a record for five years yeah and polish it this this you know, shiny, you know, nowadays just this, nobody would be able to do that. So I've sort of, I'm sort of hopeful uh, of the new record. Maybe it won't be so polished, but it probably, they probably have so much goddamn money like <laughs> yeah. left over from, from, you know, <laughs> these days that, that they still can do it. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the, like the early two thousands, there's, there's so much music that like could have been good if they I just know. didn't have so much money. <laughs> Because it's these bands. Tool is like a perfect example of the kind of band that like takes these strains of like what's going on in their era and they like kind of transcend it a little bit. Um, They, you know, because I mean, obviously that happens a lot, but there are sometimes where what they're taking from is what is objectively really shit. You know, we were talking about um, uh, in our 2009 album episode, um, The Dream. I didn't think I'd be mentioning The Dream on a Tool episode, (laughs) but. You know, the dream, he like takes the uh, materials and the sounds and stuff from ringtone rap and turns it into like mm-hmm. this glorious, you know, Prince-esque uh, composition skills, songwriting skills, you know, um, and it it makes for like a, you know, kind of a weird dated vibe, but um, something really interesting. And so I just feel like I feel that way about Tool. I feel that way about um, Queens of the Stone Age, where it's like they're working in the world of alt rock, which is like really objectively terrible. They're taking it to another level, but it, it almost like can't escape it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, Darren? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I wanted to ask, um, maybe we should just, you know, since we're on the topic, we'll we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit. Um, you know, on that note, do you find Tool uh, in general, Lateralis specifically, at least interesting as like a historical document? You know, we were just talking about like how they kind of, in their era, it's almost like they... 
you know, they, they belong there, but they transcended a little bit. I mean, is this something that people who want to know about, I don't know, nineties alternative rock and stuff, this is going to be one of these defining bands of their era. I don't, it's so hard to say because I want to say yes, but I'm like, I think it might just be like such a personal historical document that I'm like Mm. that, you know, I, uh, I've got foggy vision with it, but I don't know. It's really hard to say because like, yeah, it does like transcend a lot of those, uh, you know, the crappier bands of, you know, like this isn't anything like corn or Limp Bizkit or, or anything like that, but it's like, well, I forgot to mention that I do really hate the like rap rock part on ticks and leeches, um, <laughs> and the grudge a little bit. They, they flirt with the rap rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess a little bit, but at least it's not a whole record of it. Like, like those bands, but, uh, you know, like, it's definitely better than that but i think there's like so much just actually better stuff from 2000 uh you know that was underground or you know not not played on the radio and and everything that like is probably worth your time more than tool but i guess if you're curious about radio rock well what about like yeah like uh the sort of post-grunge era 92 or 93 is that when undertow comes out 96 when anima comes out yeah i mean no uh, it feels like kind of defining of that period okay yeah i thought you just sort of meant letter alice yeah yeah i think i think anima is is more uh important than than this record in that sense because yeah it, it sort of is the best of any of that radio uh stuff or the post grunge you know like i haven't listened to alice and chains in forever but i'm i'm sure it's a lot worse than yeah. than listening to to anima you know today yeah and there's no doubt that like basically after anima you know we have like a five-year gap and in that five-year gap uh you know new metal and alt rock gets heavier you know what i mean mm-hmm. and we have all those bands that we mentioned before come to you know popularity and stuff basically riding on the backs of like that sort of style that tool was sort of introducing you know what i mean yeah um, or it so almost I, gets I, I, would, like, I would definitely think that 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 anima is like a must hear record yeah i kind of agree and and i think that what happens is it gets a little bit watered down you know stuff like um chevelle and breaking benjamin and stuff and corn and deftones they're like just kind of more palatable tool um oh yeah you, you know something like system of a down is another band that i would say like maybe could have the potential to be sort of interesting at least some of their singles i haven't really listened to a lot of their records but um you know they're they're still quite palatable compared to tool um and it's just <clears throat> yeah i mean it's 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 god there's something else i was going to mention there but it's genuinely forward thinking i think about like um in a way they're sort of um contemporary or building on a little bit like nine inch nails which I know you guys don't like them, but you know, the early stuff, I mean, it's like, it's alt rock, but it's something like very different from, you know, Lincoln park or something. I mean, there's, it's just like, there was a time where that was kind of creative and progressive. And then when, by the time you get to 2001, two, three, as it's dying, it is so watered down and lame in a limb biscuit kind of way. Yeah. I, I, I don't like nine inch nails, but I do agree with you, you know, like, I, I think Tool is sort of in in uh, a similar camp as Nine Inch Nails. You know, it's it's not the greatest thing you're ever gonna hear, or whatever. But like of things that like still were popular and and whatnot, you know, it, it does have like a place. And you know, 
it, it, it's it, like a it, it for it foreshadows like what's to come yeah and they're sort it's of like the, a through line basically right? yeah I mean, yeah exactly if, yeah. if somebody comes across a band like chevelle somehow like you know going backwards like in and you knew about it you would say well i mean if you like chevelle you've got to check out tool or whatever you know what i mean like you've mm-hmm. got to go back to yeah i think tool is kind of like the the best place to to get back to at some point you know i agree yeah and by the way nine inch nails you can also enjoy a lot if you ignore the lyrics. So that's another thing. I, I <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Um, um, that does. Uh, I did think of like sort of an interesting, maybe side sort of question, but you know, Tool, like basically, I'm wondering what what is their influence? We've been talking about it a little bit, and it's like they basically only influ- influence bad. You know, they only created bad. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at their their own influences, there's kind of interesting stuff going on there because there's stuff like, I mean, they must have listened to earth uh you know because that was like such an important document of grunge like coming out in the grunge kind of era um like the like grunge taken to its logical extreme they must have listened to slint um they must have listened to king crimson obviously you know and it's like yeah um, i found uh i found a video of like um maynard and danny on uh like some mtv thing uh where they like got to pick the music videos and i watched it because i was curious of like what yeah. what they would pick for that same reason and they played a swans video there uh, you, go. you know and they played a ween video um oh. and I, I they played a king crimson video um you know so like yeah they they they, they do have like these influences and interesting influences and then once you like sort of pass those influences through them it's nothing but bad now should you hold that against a band if all they influence is shit <sighs> i want no, s- no i want to no. say yes but i don't i don't have a <laughs> okay, good why reason not? why why not Derek? <laughs> i mean I, you know i think arguably nirvana could be guilty of this too i mean i don't think it they were only bad uh influences but Certainly, you know, radio rock uh, post like 1993 or whatever yeah. owes a lot of that to Nirvana. Um, you know, I, I, I think the problem really is, is that like Tool had a great album in 96, kind of established this new sound and didn't follow up with it for five years. Yeah, and so true. all these other bands basically picked up the pieces and and made it Ooh, more palatable. Put them back together. Yeah. I I, I know they fit, fit. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, but no, yeah. Nirvana is a good, a, a great example, actually. You know, because you know, Seether and stuff is like such a Nirvana, right. you know, wannabe band. You know, there's a Puddle of Mud. You know, all these like really <laughs> oh, shitty <yeah. laughs> bands are just like aping Nirvana like so hard. I know, but it's almost like you could kind of say just like the they like repopularize the power cord and from that we get like yeah. weezer we get the strokes we get like you know so you know it's probably a different conversation like outside of the scope maybe it's worth doing like a whole episode one day on it but it does seem like tool especially like made nothing good ever and um like or produce influence yeah. nothing good ever and to me it does feel like a knock but it maybe if it may be like in whatever 30 20 30 years when all of that shit is completely, completely forgotten yeah yep. you know tool will sound really unique because what you were kind of talking at the beginning darren how like tool there's something really toolish about you know i was like taking notes on some of these songs and i was like 
you know, some of the songs I was like, this is extremely tool because mm-hmm. I couldn't think of another way to put it. Uh-huh. Um, and that'll be like really apparent after some time has passed, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, like Adam Jones, his guitar, I feel like, you know, there's certain people that like you, you can hear their guitar and you know who that is. You know, it's like a voice. You you, you know who that is. And uh, I, I think he has like sort of that sound, uh, you know, very like unique. And um, yeah, once once time passes and all the people who just sort of ripped that off uh, are, are lost uh and then only well, tools I mean, left you even know. even now i mean we are like uh you know coming up to like 20 years post lateralis or you know even f- more than 20 years yeah. from like anima when i came back to these records i was like wow like tool really is still like like i can't think of another band like i, I had forgotten yeah. about all these bands that you guys are now mentioning bringing them back right. because they you know they were already or forgotten. forgotten yeah <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, and we're like the only generation that will know them, you know. Um, right. So, so they'll be even. They're probably already forgotten for most people. Um, you know. So, you know, a couple wrap up questions. Basically, maybe we have no way of knowing this, but do you guys suspect the Tool is still like kind of a rite of passage type of band for like young people getting into quote unquote serious music, or no? I. I- I don't know the answer, but I feel like probably kind of no because they haven't released a record in so long. You know, yeah. like like I I think one of the reasons I found Tool when I was a kid was because like Lateralis came out like as I was finding yeah. them, you know. So it like gave like a sort of excitement. But then again, I mean, you know, like as a kid I also discovered Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and stuff, and you know they were done. But at least you know they had a a a huge discography at at the time, whereas Tool only has what like five records. Um, so yeah, I I I really don't know. I I don't I don't know if they something about them. I I think when when we were kids, you know they they were like the the only weird quote unquote like band you could go to Best Buy and and yeah. pick up and now you, you could get their shirt at hot top exactly you know? and now you don't really like now the internet is so you know we had the internet but it was you know a whole different thing you can you can find just sort of better stuff easier yeah and so i think yeah. that it's that really, might kind of ruin it for them that whole idea of like somebody who's a little bit older than you sort of introducing this band to you or this album to you just doesn't seem to ring it's not as anymore. important anymore you don't you almost don't need that like older brother yeah. older cousin to to show you stuff because yeah you could just yeah. it, whatever you're listening to on spotify spotify is your older brother who says you might also or, like you know this yeah, or that or like youtube or oh the stream i heard this track or whatever you know like another thing i think that th- this is a definitive no on are they currently a rite of passage is they're not on spotify yeah, they, they, they've yeah, they've they've they're one of the last big holdouts of streaming, and I think that kills them. Uh, yeah, in, in they're that, absolutely fucking you up. know, because what what thirteen year old, fourteen year old kid, you know, somebody might be like, hey, you know, you should check yeah. out Tool. They pull it up a Spotify, it's not there. Uh, fuck it, I'll go on to yeah, the next. Move thing. on, never hear, never well, think that, about them again. Basically. Exactly. And then they think they think. Uh, Oh geez, I guess I'll have to go to Best Buy and buy the CD. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, good luck. Rip it on my computer. <laughs> yeah, that actually that actually is an enormous fuck up. Like they are missing yeah. an entire generation. Anybody who's not on streaming is absolutely fucking yeah. up. And, and that's why I wonder who's going to be listening to this new album. <laughs> I wonder if True. this new album will be the time 
because the other big holdout, strangely enough, King Crimson. And, right. and King Crimson, uh, they just went on Apple Music, and in a couple weeks, they're going on Spotify and everything else. And they they even said, you know, like, oh, well, we, you know, everybody said that the music industry was dying, but we noticed that our CD sales and stuff were going up. So we didn't think it made any sense to go on it. And then they basically admitted, like, they were wrong. You know, and then we realized that an entire generation was not <laughs> learning about us, you know, <laughs> like, so we got to get our asses on streaming. It's so true. Um, okay. So, so one thing I'm curious about, all right, are you guys curious to check out the new album? Yes. Right. Yeah, I definitely will. I, I, I definitely will check it out. I was not at all, but because we listened to it this week, I would probably check it out. But if it's, you know, 10,000 Days did not make me excited about it. I'll, t- I'll say that. No. Much. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not excited. I, I, I would be expecting a disaster completely. Oh, I am. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I will still definitely give it a listen. And so then I think that's kind of like the central question of this podcast episode is like, fucking why? I, why am I even remotely interested or curious because it's so strange because like weirdly i saw on pitchfork uh like two days ago that slipknot has a new record out and i (laughs) i yeah which no interest no idea why that was on pitchfork but that's another uh podcast um but yeah like i i loved slipknot when i was a kid uh, uh sort of around the same age maybe a little bit younger but i have zero inclination or desire anything to check out that record, but I, I think I, mean, I feel like even if we didn't do this podcast where I went back and listened to yeah, Tool, I, I, still, I still would have listened to this new Tool record. I don't know. I, I think it's because I don't even. You know, it's crazy because I'm not even gonna like. I'm probably not even gonna check out the new Modest Mouse album unless people say it's good or something. Yeah, no, I that's I a good point. Doubt. Yeah, because I I'm not even gonna check it out probably because I didn't even listen to the last one because I like heard one song and could tell it was shit immediately. I will give this. I will give this Tool album a listen. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's because they haven't, you know, released a ton of records. I mean, that, that could be yeah. between 2006 and now. Had they released like four or five records, probably would have given up. Yeah, bad. And by this point, we'd been like, okay, now I'm not gonna. Yeah, I think that I, I think that is maybe the main reason is is yeah, you're right. Because if they had released an album in 2008, I would have listened to it because I still was like. You know, 2008, I might have, like, still been sort of, like, into Tool a little bit, you know? Like, I hadn't well, completely faded. that's when the real faded. Days album would come out, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but then if that one was bad, and then there's another one in 2010, you know, maybe I'd listen. Yeah. But, but yeah. by now, I would have given up. But, yeah, maybe that's the thing, is that, that there is this, like, 13-year, you know, gap. You know, what, what have they come up with? I, I know it's going to suck. I know I'm going to be disappointed. But it's that uh, if I never listen to it, there'll always be that. What if that Tool record is fucking fantastic? So so that's what you're motivated by is that you, you know, you're kind of like, because I, I just know it's going to be a disaster, but I'm like, I feel like obligated for some yeah. reason. I can't tell if it's nostalgia or if it's because there's actually something redeeming about them. But I'm like, well, I'll have to just check it out. I mean, I, I spend so much time with Tool in my life. I'll just have to see what I, they're doing, and it might it might be that rarity factor. I, I like to because even if it's not on streaming, which normally if it was like something I was only like mildly interested in, if it's not like you know I'm not gonna fucking bother downloading. Yeah. But even even this, I will I will <laughs> yeah. you know I will go to Best Buy. <laughs> I will yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be there at midnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we're running out of time here. What did we uh, What did we learn today? Did we get to the bottom of why there's such polarizing, uh, you know, feelings toward Tool and whether they deserve it or not? 
I don't know if we have solved it or not. Uh, it might be pretentious <laughs> of us to say we, we never we did. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we. <laughs> what the fuck's the point of this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn, Darren? I mean, you know, I, I think it's uh, we're sort of trapped in this situation because Tool just happened to be at the right moment for us as we were growing up. You know, like you mentioned, Gabe. I don't think generations you know after us are really going to have this sort of thing maybe with a different band perhaps but certainly not with tool um you know i I think that uh you know there's a lot of nostalgia obviously going on here but tool like radiohead like nirvana you know some of these major bands the doors that we've like obsessed over you know we obsessed over them for a lot of different reasons and even but, but but because we did obsess over them i think they've sort of earned a place you know, in our hearts, maybe where we're just always willing to come back and give it a shot and remember why we liked it, you know? And I think the, we just mentioned this, but like the fact that they did not oversaturate us with a bunch of bad albums, uh, it's a little bit easier to forgive them. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. They maintain a little bit of that mystery that they had somehow. Um, yeah, I think that like, I'm, I'm always really interested and really enjoy like revisiting bands that have these kind of um, really troubling or confusing like uh, legacies or something, you know, like we did the doors and it basically turned out the opposite where I feel like the doors are, you know, everybody gets obsessed with them. There's the backlash. And then I believe if you revisit, they're actually pretty great tool, maybe a little different. Uh, but those like those, you know, I think it's important to realize that this is kind of how music criticism works as a whole, like, you know, in the Rolling Stone era, stuff like classic rock is revered as that's the canon you know and then by the time you get to the uh pitchfork era that stuff is shit you know mm-hmm. and um and there's just backlash and then reassessment backlash and reassessment that's like all the history of music criticism is so um while i can't say i enjoyed tool that much um i do think they're a fascinating case study in uh in backlash and reassessment basically yeah, I think that's uh, well put. So uh, enough for this week. What do you think? We'd love to read your thoughts on the air. Give us an email. That's popshieldpod at gmail.com. We'll have our next episode in uh, two weeks. Not sure what we're doing yet, but if you like the show, help us out by subscribing. Leave us a five-star uh, review wherever you get your podcast. Stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that is at popshieldpod. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you. So long. Well.